And welcome back to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly run of movies, TV, music, and video games. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. Yep, my name is Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us today. This is September the 30th, 2022, episode 351, I believe. Yep. 351, right on the money. Last episode of September. We are in October as of tomorrow, believe it or not. And that leads us right into our first music session because you know what that means. Yes. Although I have a correction for you because I made this joke earlier and Christy actually corrected me. It has to be when September ends. So midnight tonight, you can wake up Billy Joe Armstrong. Oh, by the time you listen to this, September will have ended. <laughs> yes. By the time somebody listens to this, you're probably right. He'll be awake. He'll be like, what did I miss? I mean, it is the end of September. So it's yeah. not. September has ended when September ends. <laughs> you think it's it ends as in like the ending tense. of September, which is now. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> but we're not here to decide, uh, ultimately. We're here to tell you about music. Yes. So now that we've woken up Green Day, let's get yeah. right into the billboard. And we always start the billboard with the Hot 100. As it was, once again, your number one single by Harry Styles, as it was. Yep. Coming in at two, Bad Habit by Steve Lacey. At three, I Like You, a happier song by Post Malone featuring Doja Cat. Coming in at four, Sunroof by Nikki Yor and Daisy. And running at your top five, Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj. So the only thing that happened this week is that uh, Post Malone and Nicki Minaj swapped. Otherwise, it's the same. Otherwise, it's the same. As for your albums chart, you have Billboard 200. Coming in at number one, Born Pink by <laughs> Blackpink is your number one album uh, because the summer's over, which means coming in at two, Un Verano Sinti by Bad Booty gets dropped kicked out of that number one spot. Yep. Drops down to number two. Coming in at three, Two Baddies <laughs> by NCT 127. Unknown. <laughs> and then coming up Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Yeah. And rounding out your top five, surprise into the top five, returning to the top five possibly. Yeah. The Highlights by The Weeknd. No, this is not a new Weeknd album. <laughs> this is The Hits by The Weeknd. Yeah, it was weird seeing this return back to the top five, but maybe that goes to show you, one, the staying power of the record and The Weeknd in general, and two, slow release week this week, so nothing really to disrupt what we already saw besides Blackpink uh, storming to number one. So, yeah, no huge surprise here. Uh, congratulations to Blackpink. This is also marks the a record. Um, this is the set, like in the last decade. This is only the second time that an all female group has been number one. Has had a number one album. I don't remember what it was is ten this years ago. Purposely for like group. Yeah, category? specifically for a female group. Uh, this is the first time in a while. 
So congratulations to Blackpink. Granted, is this also debuting at number one? Yes, it's debuting at number one this week. All right. So congratulations to Blackpink. Yeah. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. Yes. Starting with Blue Rev by Always. <laughs> it's just Always. But there's two Vs. But yes, their first record in a while. I'll be listening to this and probably talk to talk about it next week. We also have Rolling Rolling Golden Holy yep. by Bony Light Horseman. That would be Bonnie Light Horseman. But Bony Light Horseman is only for Halloween. It's um, getting into October. You might know, uh, recognize the name, uh, because one of the members is none other than the writer and creator of Hades Town. Really? Yes. There's crossover there. So if you like the Hades Town music, maybe check out Bonnie Light Horseman. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, there's also Into the Blue, all caps and yelling at you by Broken Bells. Speaking of a uh, long time since releases, that is the first Broken Bells uh, release in like 10, 10 years or so. And speaking of albums yelling at you, Sucker Punch, <laughs> all caps, by Chloe Morlando. Yeah. Uh, we also have The Art of Survival by Bush. Yes, yes that, that Bush. Bush. <laughs> Cherry by Caribou. Charlie by Charlie Puth. Yep. Um, Desperately Imagining Someplace Quiet <laughs> by Disc. <laughs> Omens by Lamb of God. Yeah. Anywhere But Here by Sorry. <laughs> and? And the album of the week, and the one <laughs> you should all be listening to, Ice, death, planets, lungs, mushrooms, and lava. By none other than media vote favorite name, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Now, now last time a King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard record came out, you actually checked it out just out of curiosity. Will you be listening to this new one? Um, I do have a long drive tomorrow, so I will be listening to it for probably only for two minutes before I'm told to put it away. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I will probably that. be checking this out. <laughs> just it's out just of so much fun additional to say. curiosity. Yeah, it's just so much fun to say. I know. Ice, death, planets, lungs, mushrooms, lava, just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. wonder if they actually do address all of those topics in their lyrics. <laughs> Well, we'll, we'll find, find out, out. Yep. next week. <laughs> all right. Because these are all next week releases. Right. Yes. Um, so uh, I won't be listening to it tomorrow. I'll listen to it next week. You'll have to listen to something else. Yes, I will. Maybe the highlights. Maybe. <laughs> all right. Let's roll in right into music news then. And we start with Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and it's also a follow-up story. It is also one of the one of your favorite things to cover on the Media Boat podcast. Legal lawsuits. lawsuits. Ed Sheeran must now face a jury trial in regards to accusations that he lifted bits of his 2014 song "Thinking Out Loud" from Marvin Gaye's 1972 classic "Let's Get It On," 
And yes, this is that exact same lawsuit. <laughs> yes. The move comes as part of a federal judge who barred the singer-songwriter's request to toss the case, which has been ongoing since 2018. That's right. Five years later, it's just now going to trial. Yeah. The parties bringing the Thinking Out Loud copyright claims, who are partial owners of the Marvin Gaye song, are seeking $100 million in damages from the British musician. However, his attorneys are contesting the lawsuit by citing alleged stolen song bits as commonplace and therefore not warranted for a copyright infringement claim. Yeah, I mean, comparing the songs just from what we can hear, there's a similar vibe and certainly a similar tempo. But beyond that, there's I don't know if there's a whole lot to really hold on to for this lawsuit. But that being said, how many times now since the... Uh, I guess Robin the precedent Day. of the uh, which what was the song what was the song that set the precedent? It was Robin Thicke. It was the Robin Thicke song. That's right. Yeah. Um, ever since that lawsuit, lines. The, the blurred lines lawsuit. Now it's been like up in the air. Now who knows if they even have a case here? I think like if that case is anything to like base it on, maybe there's not enough to disprove that he borrowed some cues from Marvin Gaye. I don't know. It could very be, I am just, uh, this could go other ways, what I'm saying. I'm not a legal expert when it comes to music, but they, if they claim that uh, thinking out loud is similar enough to let's get it on, maybe there's nothing that Ed Sheeran can do. I mean, it could be legal fodder as well, where the lawyers go out saying, well, if you're seeing, suing us for liking this song, then you're going to have to end up suing this song and this song yeah. and this song and this song because they all have the same kind of bits of pieces of music. That's a good defense, but like we'll see what uh, Ed Sheeran's lawyers have up their sleeves for this. Right, but you know, the counterclaim is, wow, that's a good idea. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I actually, will put lawsuits in for all five of those songs. Actually, the Marvin Gaye estate can afford to do that, so thank yes. you for the advice. <laughs> um, one thing, a uh, real minor note, no pun intended, uh, is that this coincides with a bunch of announcements that Ed Sheeran has been trying to make, but apparently has got nobody has been paying attention to about his involvement in, get this, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. So you know how he, they had like teased a collaboration and everybody was like, oh, this is going to be on that album, that Pokemon album that came out. Well, it wasn't. And so everybody was like, well, what's the Ed Sheeran thing then? Well, apparently this week, they put out a press release saying the song is somehow going to be featured in the game. What? <laughs> so yes, an official Pokemon and Ed Sheeran collaboration. Note, Ed Sheeran is a self-avowed Pokemon fan and has always wanted to collaborate with, with Nintendo on something. Apparently he's getting his wish. <laughs> Um, apparently, it's it was part of a new music video that he just released. Yeah, but all this news got buried because of this lawsuit. <laughs> right. It's a very weird week to be Ed Sheeran. Uh, yeah, I mean, because I thought like when that news first news came out, 
Here I Am around, around the same time that Katy Perry released right. Pokemon song as well. Yeah, but that album song. came out and didn't have Ed Sheeran on it. So goes to show you. This has been cooking for a while. So good for him, I guess. So he knew about this game way in advance and didn't tell anyone? So it also makes me th- like think, do you think Ed Sheeran is the most famous Pokemon fan? Hmm. <laughs> Well, I was going to say Ronda Rousey. Yeah, well, now probably not. And she's not as famous. As yeah, not as famous anymore. Yeah. Maybe at a time. Was. There was a time. Five or six years ago. Yeah, maybe. Anyways. Maybe. Anyways. Um, that wasn't the most exciting news of them. No, it was not. Because we here at the Media Bell Podcast <laughs> are proud to say that there is going to be officially new Paramore. Yes. Yes, as the next Paramore era has officially commenced with the band releasing the song This Is Why, the first new single and music since 2017. Yes, you may recall if you're a longtime listener of the show that their uh, Paramore's 2017 record, After Laughter, was, I believe, our favorite record of the year or maybe the second. Was that the same year as Melodrama? I think so. It was like the, so maybe uh, it was number two. I think melodrama was our one we agreed on. But anyway, regardless, we both really liked uh, the last Paramore record. You're on the record of liking that record. Yes. And yet, here we are with new music some five years later. Yeah. That's been five years. It's been five years. Well, it's been five years. <laughs> so the band also revealed its long-awaited sixth studio album of the same name will be released next year, February 10th. Yes. That's the only downside of this news is, yeah, I was hoping that maybe they would squeak it in sometime at the end of the year. Now we got the single, but the record is coming out next year. Well, February 10th is around Super Bowl time. So. Yeah. Well, I have an addendum to music news uh, about that when we finish oh. here. Well, we'll, I don't get, have it we'll get down, put it in yes. sports. I figured you would put it in sports, but I just, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about it later. We'll talk about it in sports. Uh, quote from, uh, I think this is, yeah, from Paramore. Yes. Entering back into a world and cultural landscape very different from the last time, from the one they last participated in, Paramore have returned with a song about exactly that reads uh, the single's press release. Quote, This is Why was the very last song we wrote for the album. To be honest, I was so tired of writing lyrics, but Taylor convinced Zach and I both that we should work on this last idea. What came out of it was the title track for the whole album. Uh, Those were comments made by front woman Haley Williams. Quote, it summarizes the plethora of ridiculous emotions, the roller coaster of being alive in 2022, having survived even just the last three or four years. You'd think after a global pandemic of fucking biblical proportions <laughs> and the impending doom of a dying planet, that humans would have found it deep within themselves to be kinder or more empathetic or something. Yeah. End quote. Think. You would think. You would think, Haley. You would think. think. So, did you listen to this single? I did. Yeah, and I liked how they kind of left off the line of, this is why I'm, like, to finish the quote in the line. Yeah. 
I'm not leaving my room. It's good for good reason, turns out. Yeah, yeah I really uh, like it. It's been stuck in my head since I heard it first, like honestly, for the last couple of days. And yeah, it's just, it's a really, really good way to kind of start off this, this era of, of the band. Um, I like how it's a good combination of kind of where they left off with After Laughter's kind of 80 tinged, 80s tinged sound combined with some of the stuff that she's been doing, haley has been doing in her solo uh, records that she put out over the last couple of years. Uh, I think it's a good synthesis of those two things. I get a little talking heads in there. Uh, like it's it's an interesting blender of styles and yeah like I said it's super super catchy I think that if this is the direction they're going I think it's great uh, I'm super looking forward to hearing more of what's on this uh, uh, on this album so hey I'm excited yeah the chorus is very catchy it's very hooked yeah. um, like even the lyrics itself are very like, yeah. on point on like not only what they're trying to say, but how you can get across a feeling in today's day and age. It has, like I said, like you said, it has like a very like 70s, 80s vibe, but tonally and lyrically, it's meant for today's audience. So it's a good cross blend and excited to see where this comes next year. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I look forward to that in a few months. But for now, yeah, uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll hear more singles before the Possibly. comes out, maybe. Is it too early to call this record of the year 2020? Yes, it's too <laughs> early. <laughs> Don't even try. Anyways, let's move on. Anyways, let's move on. Did you listen to anything? Uh, No, I was going to, but instead, well, I realized it was National Podcast Day today, and I had to, no, that's not why, but I had some catch-up on podcasts to do, so I did not listen to what I was going to listen to today, which was the new Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's record, which came out today. That was on my list. I didn't get to it uh, because of podcast, but next week. Yeah, something we can listen to, look forward to next week. Yes. Other than that, no, I didn't really have time for any music today. So. Well, I uh, have a follow-up story. Okay. Something that we've been covering um, this entire year. Yeah. And that is the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. Yes. I was very fortunate and super lucky and like almost can't believe. I actually went to this concert the one on Tuesday. What? Yeah. Um, this is probably the, the most sold out thing I've ever seen on Ticketmaster. <laughs> yeah. To where it was sold out. I'd have to refresh for one ticket to pop up only for it to immediately be sold right. or taken off down from the from the website. Right. So I'm sitting here at like six o'clock with an hour to go, like just keep refreshing, just keep <laughs> refreshing. You'll eventually find a good ticket that's worth the price. So just keep refreshing. Yeah. Eventually I did find a good enough ticket at the right price to go. Wow. And that was an experience. I bet. Um I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, yeah. Lots of like legacy performers like uh, Rush, John Paul Jones, um, Brian May, Queen, uh, The Cars. Yeah. So, real quick, we should say if yes. our listeners are having deja vu, it's because we talked about part one of this tribute, 
uh, we talked about when they had it in London. This is the second tribute concert for Taylor Hawkins, which happened down here in Los Angeles. Just in case, because we didn't say that specifically. So maybe it's not missed an episode. That's what we're talking about. Yes. Uh, it was just like band after band. Um, they only came out and played like maybe two or three songs. Hmm. Uh, Surprise the Night was Pink showing up at three separate times throughout to uh, throughout the performance. Um, but it was very much a, a hard and heavy rock concert of legacy acts coming out and just basically rocking it. At one point during the end where it was uh, the Foo Fire set, after every song, they had a different drummer come out mm-hmm. and play. So you have uh, like Travis Barker came out uh, yeah. from Raging Against the Machines. Some of the different um, acts we played earlier, like uh, the guy from Rush. Um, that was actually one of the cooler moments is that Rush and Tool <laughs> both came out and had a <laughs> performance, a, a collaboration performance. A very specific guy was very happy. And I was pretty much next to that very specific guy uh, yeah. who came to the concert wearing a pull-on Rush outfit. And as soon as Rush played with Tool, yeah. pretty much left. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Guy comes to Taylor Hawkins' tribute night to see Rush and then leaves when Rush is done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for some reason, Miley Cyrus showed up. I she was yeah she was on the poster of to be to be performed. Okay, explain why they had Dave Chappelle there. I don't know why, but he came out. He sang "Creep." He sang "Radiohead Creep." Wait, Dave Chappelle sang? Why would he sing? Uh, because he's a creep. I mean, it's accurate for once. (laughs) (laughs) What the. I mean, why I is he there? I forgot that he was even listed, but then he came out like towards the end. I'm like, wait, that's Dave Chappelle. Unfortunately, like, I looked down my phone for a second and then looked back up. I'm like, it looks like Dave Chappelle. Yeah, They're singing Radiohead. Unfortunately, he was on of, like, the the He was sense. planned to be there. Unfortunately, again, I don't know why, but well, that's frustrating. But overall, uh, quite a very memorable night. I would imagine, yeah. Just, like, act after act that you normally, like, wouldn't get all these people in the same building. Oh, never. Or the I mean, same like venue, we, or same concert, same yeah. lineup. Like we said about the, the, the London performance as well, which is like, this is a, I feel like they should do more events like this, because clearly, for the right cause, in the right situation, these legends are willing to show up. So... Okay. Why not do these kinds of things more often? Like the only other one that I can remember that was like this, um, like on scale of performers was the Michael Jackson tribute yeah. concert. That was in like 2010. Yeah, which in retrospect is also hmm, maybe the yeah. best choice that we could have done, but you know what? <laughs> Made sense at the time. Yeah, but you know, when you, it's just the scale of like who's on this lineup. Yeah. It's, very mind-boggling. Oh, yeah, uh, Lars Aldrich showed up. Sure, Calendar. because why not? Yeah, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. So, seems like there was a lot of crossover with some the performances from the, the first night. 
Yeah, from the uh, London show. Yeah. I think the, was it? There's a lot more uh, Seattle-based bands here uh, on the, for the LA show. Yeah. Because um, Taylor Hawkins from up there, Influence, came down. So. Very he's from, show. He's from um, here, right? He's from, uh, uh, he's from Orange Long, County. No, yeah, Orange County, Laguna. Yeah. Yeah, he's from the 714. <laughs> <laughs> Represents. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway. Yeah, anyways. Uh, but that's yeah, a, a memorable experience. Very memorable experience, yeah. Okay. Um, no good segue to that, but. Yeah, there's no good segue out of, out of that into video games, but. You know, rock Band is a video game. You saw a lot of Rock Bands. We're not going to talk yeah. about Rock Band the video game today, but it is a video game. It is so a, let's video talk about game. a video game. Yeah. So, let's get right into video games. And we start with new releases. Yes. And only three on the docket today. Yeah. First up, Near Automata for the Switch. Yeah, you've been waiting and to no play. No Man's Sky for the Switch. Both are getting yeah. Switch ports. If, uh, both uh, pretty well-liked games at this point. Uh so if you've been waiting to play them on a Switch, and if you only have a Switch, uh, then cool. You have a lot of game to play. Turns out that both of them are also very long experiences with a lot of content to dig into. So yep. uh, uh, The Nier Automata is not cloud-based either. No. On the hardware. They did the work. Uh, yep. From all uh, that uh, I've seen is that they have actually done a pretty good job on the port. So people are saying it's not a disappointing version of that title at all. Which you'd hope so because that's a generational title now. So it's been out for a while. Yep. And lastly, your big release of the yes. week. Uh, the one that is so big, it's literally uh, server shutting. Yeah. Overwatch 2 coming mm. out on everything the big release, the wide release. Blizzard's coming at you with Overwatch 2. But wow, does it feel like no one cares? Yeah. Yeah. What a weird, what a weird trip that Overwatch 2 has gone on. Like, right? Like when you think about it, it's like Overwatch 1 had its had its peak. At its peak was like one of the most like talked about games of its time. Like people loved that game. And then Blizzard, you know, had all the problems Blizzard did. And then Activision had all the problems Activision did. And then you have the Microsoft purchase, which is still ongoing. And then in the midst of all that, I feel like they lost the fan base. Like they all went off and played different games and they had focused so much on trying to make Overwatch a eSport that I feel like it lost the audience that was so diehard about that game back in the day. So now the sequel's coming out and I don't hear anybody talking about it. Right, I mean, the... Well, one, you got to look at Blizzard and Activision, like yeah. everything that they've kind of yeah. stepped themselves and kind of driven themselves into with the player base, with the fan base, with the community in general. Yeah. Uh, but like the, even the first Overwatch game was 2014? Has it really 16. been that long? 16? I want to say 2016. 16 sounds right. A while. Yeah, a 20, yeah, 2016. So it's 2016 release, and here we are 
almost six years later, <laughs> getting a sequel. I mean, yes, games of um, other other games and other genres have had six years in between releases of sequels. But when Overwatch came out, they were trying to make it a continuous game, adding more rosters, adding more players, kind of trying to go the League of Legends style. And never really took, I mean, when they were just like the first pack with like Junkrat, yeah, it kind of worked in its like continued play. But over time, it, like you said, has lost a lot of the steam that it once had. Yeah. It'll be really interesting post release here to see what they try to get do to entice players um, to try it out. One note, though, I believe it is free to play, uh, which yes. is distinguishes it from the release of the first game, which was a purchasable product when it first launched. Yeah, that is one thing to note that Overwatch 2 will be free to play. Um, so it will have seasons, um, yeah. extra stuff you can download, um, purchase for tiers. So should we, for try, should we try this out? <laughs> should we play I'll this try it out because it's free week? to play. Maybe. Um, I might try this out, see the differences between like the Switch and the PS5. <laughs> yeah. But, I imagine the PS5 version will run a little better. Yes, but I also imagine I'll have more availability to play on the <laughs> Switch than the PS5. Yeah, probably right. Probably right. Anyway. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, of note, uh, kind of mentioned it, but when Overwatch 2 goes live, the original Overwatch servers will be shut down and everything will be moved over to Overwatch 2. Right. Including any coins-based money items you have will be converted. And I think we talked all about this beforehand as well. Yeah, yes. So give that a shot if, that's, uh, if you're like Overwatch and you miss it. But other than that, Real slow week, release wise. Yeah, everyone got away on Overwatch too. Was the big yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, let's give some video game news and yeah. um, <laughs> bring out the black flag, bow your heads. Um, another... More like, let's roll out the "I told you so." If you roll back the tape to when this was announced, we had very different opinions about how we thought that this product was going to go. But I'll let you say the story. So officially, Google will be shutting down its Stadia game streaming service next year. In a statement published on Thursday, Stadia's general manager, Bill Harrison, admitted that the service hasn't gained the traction with (laughs) users that it expected. Since launching nearly three years ago, Google will be refunding all Stadia hardware purchases made through the Google Store and all games and add-on content purchases made through the Stadia Store. Players will continue to have access to their games library and play through January 18th of next year, an official uh, cutoff date of January 18th. And yes, this is the part where you can say you told me so. (laughs) I took the opposite stance. So Stadia, yes. Way back when Stadia was announced, they had their big, uh, Google had their big blowout, they had their big like presentation. They were making some lofty claims back then about how, oh, this is the future of video games and that nobody wants consoles anymore and that's old technology. Uh, Well, flash forward to today, 
you have competitors that are doing what Stadia does, but better, like Microsoft's xCloud and Amazon's Luna. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I feel like over time, Amazon or Google finally just smartened up and was like, this is never going to be the thing that we wanted it to be as much as we pour money into it. And we saw the writing on the wall years prior too. We saw stories coming out of Google even as recent as last year, talking about how they were going to move it, their focus away from internal game development to technology development and integrating the Stadia technology into other portions of the company. Well, that bears out with this news as well because they're out talking about the same thing. They're talking about like, yeah, we'll still use the Stadia technology in like YouTube and Google Play uh, scenarios, but Stadia as a end user product where people can play video games is done. It is nice of them that they're refunding it. I do like give them credit for that at least, uh, that any purchase that you make made through Stadia, whether the hardware, the controller, any games that you bought through the Stadium service, all of that is being refunded. So if you went all in on Stadia, you at least get your money back, which is good. That's what they should do. It's admirable, admirable that Google is actually following through with that. But yeah, uh, you were willing to give it the benefit of the doubt back in the day. You were like, oh, well, maybe it works. But turns out just nobody cared. Nobody wanted it enough. Well, one of the big sticking points that you pointed out was the lack of internet infrastructure for people to be able to play games on running yes. on such a low bit frame. Yeah. Uh, there's lag, input lag, kind of no matter what you do with streaming. Mm -hmm. And no matter what, there are just certain genres of video games that don't work in a streaming environment. Fighting games, first-person shooters, any online multiplayer game all require split-second decision-making and split-second input. With streaming, there's always going to be a lag because what you're seeing is a video of what's actually happening on a server. It's never going to be a one-to-one -one experience. There's always going to be some sort of sacrifice there. And as the technology exists right now, it's just not good enough for anybody to prefer the Stadia experience over having their own console. So maybe do we see a version of this from some other company in a couple years that maybe irons it out better? Yeah, of course, there's always room for better. But I think what Stadia proves is that it's not, it can't be your only solution, which is why I think Microsoft is the only one that's gotten it right so far. They're adding it as an option. And that's key. You don't want to force play, they're not forcing players to use X, their, their cloud for Xbox games. They're giving you an option to use the cloud if you don't want to download a game or you don't have the bandwidth to or do whatever. Like it's as long as it's an option, I think it works. But as soon as it's your entire like idea, video games just aren't there yet. Technology isn't there yet. Internet infrastructure in the United States and in the world just isn't there yet. So Stadia was a good idea way before its time. I mean, I assume we're going to see some sort of in, in, some sort of option of this eventually. Yeah. Um, like you said, Microsoft maybe, but yeah. I like the idea. You know, just if you have an internet connection, you can jump on yeah. and play. 
theoretically, it's a good idea, but you can't charge them $60 a pop for a game you don't own. Right. So they went All wrong. Licensing. They just took a couple of wrong turns uh, during the, pro pro the, the process. And I guess now they've learned from their mistakes and they're willing to just take the take the loss and just shut the whole thing down. So All right. Google is very used to doing that, turns out. All right. uh, <laughs> what do I need to set my oven to? Because I got to eat crow on this. <laughs> it's okay. You're good. You're good. You're allowed. You're allowed to be wrong once a year on the podcast. We're both allowed to be wrong at least once a year. <laughs> All right. So speaking of being wrong, yeah. um, we now have a new thing to ponder about. This is actually a follow-up story. We talked about it briefly, I believe, in a bit, uh, bit a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I know it's first like alluded to and announced, but now we have an yeah. actual date and some more information exactly. of the upcoming PlayStation Stars. Sony will launch its PlayStation Stars loyalty program in Asia today and in other regions next month. Following the Asian launch on September 29th, local time, so it's currently live, the rewards scheme will roll out in the Americas on October 5th. Uh, I think that's Wednesday. And in Europe and Australia on October 13th. Announced in July, PlayStation Stars will enable players to earn rewards by completing a variety of campaigns and activities. PlayStation Stars will initially be available via the PlayStation app and expand to consoles at a later date. So, so you gotta July, download the app. Yeah, so back in July, we mentioned this. Uh, the new story originally was kind of like questioning the digital collectibles that were included as some of the rewards and whether or not they were NFTs or NFT adjacent. Sony was very quick to say, no, they're not NFTs, they're just digital collectibles. Uh, uh, so yeah, this does seem to be still part of their plan. But ultimately, overall, it sounds more closer to me like what Microsoft does incorporating Microsoft rewards with the Xbox Game Pass, uh, where there'll be certain, like if you play like play five Game Pass games in the month of whatever, they'll give you some Microsoft rewards points. This is like that, essentially. Note, though, this does not seem to link to place the, the, the Sony rewards program, which is separate. Um, if you had a Sony credit card in the past or have kind of opted into any of their services, they have their own Sony rewards program. This doesn't seem to be linked to that at all. This is just in the PlayStation universe. Um, I think if done well, I think incentivizing players to do things to earn points is a good idea overall. I think it's always good, but ultimately it depends on what the prizes are at the other end of that. Like if you can eventually translate to things that actually are good prizes to win, then cool, awesome. But if it's just for clout or just for digital collectibles, less awesome. So we'll see what they ultimately decide to do. I think you also need to have something that, where you can show off your clout. Because if you, it's only something that you can be viewed on your profile or someone views on your profile, it's yeah. very limiting. And Again. not something like what was PlayStation Home yeah. and the PS3, where you can walk around and show off your collectibles. But, but again, Microsoft solved this two generations ago with avatar rewards on the 360. You could unlock specific things to have on your avatar, which is visible to other people looking at your profile. 
So well, I don't think PlayStation has avatars. No, so they'd have something like that. Yeah, uh, avatars are icons that. or right. characters. So yeah, I don't know. I think again, rewards programs are go- always good conceptually because they always incentivize players or users to do things. And so yeah, if they are able to pull that off and convince people to do it for a good like reward at the end of the other end, then awesome, cool. But you have to have that that carrot on that stick has to be a good ass carrot, is what I'm yep. saying. So you, as an avid PlayStation user, are you excited about stars? Are you ready to earn some stars? I'm interested to see what I exactly have to do because if it's anything yeah. like the uh, take the crown program that they had over the summer. Yeah. Not going to be very incentivizing to log yeah. on and play. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we have thoughts on games. We that played aren't PlayStation games. Games this week. It's true. All right. Um, I'll go first because it's really brief. I only played about an uh, hour and a half of it. Okay. Splatoon 3. Yeah, you got your hands on Splatoon 3. Now, what is your history with the Splatoon games? Um, I've played Splatoon characters in Smash Brothers. <laughs> so you haven't played Splatoon 1 or 2? No, I have not played Splatoon 1 or 2. Okay. Well, because they were Wii U games, uh, which is why a lot of people did not play it. Well, the first one was. I believe Splatoon 2 was a Switch game. But but yeah, um, so this is, you are coming into the Splatoon universe fresh. Yes. And I kind of enjoyed the different gameplay. Um, the painting of the walls, coloring the surface, while also shooting at other people. It adds a dip, that extra less fresh layer of a typical FPS shooter of just run around and shoot people that you can paint stuff. You can um, capture, uh, what's it called? Base? Right. Call, it, call it your base. Yeah, um, yeah, your base, I guess, yeah. Yeah, call, call the, color the playing field in uh, your color trying to earn, earn points. It's unique. It's fresh. I've only played about like two matches. So they're very long. Um, sometimes in the lobby, it's very lengthy and trying to get like a full team going. Maybe yeah. it's because it's still fresh, but... That and Nintendo's online stuff is not usually the greatest. That probably yeah. is part of it. So I'll be able to get through like the tutorial and then like one and a half games. Yeah. So, There's also a lot of single player content though. I haven't gotten to that yet. Um, but I'll be diving into that this week and I'll report back on it next week. Cool. Yeah, I've always thought the ideas behind Splatoon were really cool and I love the art style and the music and the whole vibe of it is really, really cool. I've just yeah, I've just never had a reason to really like spend the money to like dive into Splatoon. Um but Maybe someday, maybe someday I'll give it a shot. Maybe what next I, week. Maybe. But what I did give a shot, though, is of a new Game Pass game. It's also available on other platforms as well for, I believe, uh, $30. But it is a game called Tiny Kin. Uh, I've talked about the last couple of weeks that I've been trying to make time to play this thing. And boy, howdy, am I glad that I finally sat down and played this because Tiny Kin is a good-ass video game. So, do you know anything about this game? No. Okay. So, think Pikmin, where you have a character and a bunch of little minions that you control, but take out all of the combat out of Pikmin. 
Pikmin. So there are no monsters that are getting in your way. There's also no day-night cycle where you have to leave the planet before, like, before it gets too dark and you have to leave. I don't know if you ever played Pikmin. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, like basically take the stress out of the Pikmin games and you get Tiny Tim. So it's just straight puzzles. Not even, I, yes and no. And why I say that is because when you think puzzle, you think of like, man, I can't, I just can't figure out how to, how to figure this out. Like maybe I need to sleep on it kind of thing. Nothing ever gets that difficult in Tiny Tim. Tiny Kid is basically a game built on the like the good feelings that you get from a platformer when you collect a bunch of shit and the good feelings in a puzzle game where you're like, oh, I figured out that this thing connects to this thing and I did it and it worked. It is, they somehow have made a game that is like the synthesis of that serotonin release that a video game gives you. And it just constantly gives it to you over and over and over again. It's just a feel-good experience. So basically what's happening here, you are a character who is human-like, I guess you could say, uh, from a planet where humans currently reside. But you're curious and you want to know what where humans originally came from. So you go into space and you end up uh, something goes wrong and you end up in the land of the tiny kin, uh, which is basically, for all intents and purposes, a you like as if you are shrunk down and the world around you is gigantic. So this is a lot of little character big world scenario. Think of like, you know, those levels of um, of, uh, of like old school shooters that were like, oh, you're shooting everybody in the kitchen and like. There's giant cereal boxes. What's the, the sink other, is right there. Uh, grounded? Similar to grounded, but indoors, no, nothing outdoors. Um, but yeah, that's basically where you are. And then you have the tiny kin that are helping you get through these areas. Um, and the tiny kin, just like Pikmin, are color coded to what their abilities are. And they all correlate with some sort of minor little puzzle that you can do in the world. So, like, the purple ones can pick things up and carry them. The red ones can explode and can blow things up when you throw them at things. The blue ones can interact with electrical sockets and can be linked to carry electricity to, say, a power cord down the way. Stuff like that. So you're basically going around these huge environments and seeing, huh, I bet I need a blue tiny kin for that situation. I bet I need like at least 15 purples for this to carry this thing to where it needs to be. I need these yellow guys to make a ramp so that way I can get up to this far up ledge. All the while we are also collecting so many things. Think like Banjo-Kazooie like rare game level of collecting like thousands of little gold little bits everywhere. That sounds like it could potentially be overwhelming, but it doesn't feel that way when you're playing it. Because one of the brilliant things that Tiny Ken does is instead of saying, well, you better collect hundred, like thousand of these, or else you have to, or else you won't unlock the new level, the game never does that. The game is like, well, it's if you want, and there's incentives for if you collect a lot of them, but it's not required to fi- finish the game. It's not required to go to the next thing. The only thing that's required is kind of solving the like 
meta like like get the ultimate like tchotchke that's in the level which is all through the normal puzzle solving that you're doing just by looking around the world it's just such a relaxing stress-free game it's rewarding constantly there's something new around every corner of the world and just the feel of the platforming of jumping and floating on your little bubble to platform the platform there's even sonic adventure 2 style grinding on um like cables, except you do it with the bar of soap. It's got a cute little art style. It's like a nice little vibe. It's a little European is one thing I will say about it. And what I mean by that is that like the names of the bug characters you're interacting and some of the dialogue is just a little like a little weird. And ultimately the plot goes in a direction that I was like, I'm kind of losing you guys here. But ultimately this game is not about story. You can pretty safely ignore all the conversations in the game and be okay and just play it because it's fun and not really weird, worry about these bugs don't like these bugs and this bug is like the ancient like king of the bugs. You can pretty much just leave that, take it or leave it. It may be interesting if you dig into it. There's some philosophical things going on towards the end of the game about what are humans and what was this world and stuff. But you do not need to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it because the moment-to-moment -moment practice of playing Tiny King is fun enough that you don't need to know why. Why is not important. <laughs> but yeah, it's it was fun and it's quick. There's only about like six or so main levels, and they're all basically you can spend as much time as you want in them. I finished it in three settings because I just loved I, I enjoyed playing it so much. Um, that I just tore right through it and saw credits uh, yesterday. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go back and try to 100% it. Um, you can if you were that kind of person, uh, but I wouldn't recommend it uh, because there's, like I said, thousands of these little gold things in every level, and it's a lot of things to do, uh, but it's a whole lot of fun do it while you're doing it. So, uh, yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend Tiny Ken for anybody who likes platformers and like minor little puzzle games because none of the puzzles get so complicated where you're like, oh, a puzzle game. It's not that kind of puzzle game. It's pretty chill and I had a really good time with it. Alright. That's Tiny Ken. Yeah, I Tiny might Ken. check it out, but yeah. at the same time, if it gets like all the collectible things that you're saying that I think it's going to hit, yeah, it might, and for you, it might hit your, I cannot leave this level until I get this meter all the way to the top, until yes. I deliver all of these envelopes to the mailbox, until I get every single one of these uh, rewards. Yeah, it could elicit that response from you. Because that's what I did with Tome, is that I was stuck in a level, trying mm -hmm. to complete as much as I could before going to the next one. Yeah, one. So, like, I could easily go to the next place. Yeah, one potential downside, I think, to this game is that if you are a completionist, there are probably going to be moments where you're just sitting on the edge of, like, a giant table and, like, using your little binoculars to look around and be like, I literally do not know what I'm missing. Like, I literally don't know where the last, like, hundred of these golden bits are. I don't, I have no way the game is not helping me know where the last envelope is. And it starts manageable because the levels start pretty small, but as levels get bigger and bigger and bigger, you're less going to want to spend less time being like, uh, 
it's going to be more frustrating to be like, I only have one more envelope yet for this quest and I do not know where it is. I'm just going to move on to the next thing, which is ultimately what I did. Mm. So. At least that's one thing that like Lego Star Wars does well. Even though there's a crap ton to like yeah. explore and find and like do, at least like you're able to unlock something that says point you in this direction. Yeah. Unlock a hint over here. Point you over here. Uh, two other things I just really briefly thought of. That's actually a good point. I think that the kind of puzzles you solve in a Lego Star Wars game is kind of the level of puzzle solving that's happening here. So maybe that's a good metaphor I didn't think about. But yeah, like that's probably a good uh, example of that. The second thing I want to mention real briefly, I was playing on Xbox Series X, and even the Series X version had some frame rate issues with specific Ooh. textures. Generally, it ran really well. In fact, the look of the game is really cool because the world is 3D, but the characters are 2D. It looks, It has a really neat look to it. But I will say, whenever I was next to a lot of fuzzy rugs or towels, that texture, I guess, is really hard for the game to consistently show a lot of on screen at once. And so it chugged during heavy textured scenes. That being said, though, I feel like the game itself realized that that was an issue. And later levels, that texture isn't there nearly as much as it is in earlier levels. <laughs> So yeah, your mileage might vary, but I, maybe you'll you'll be okay if you have a beefy PC. But like, just know that the console versions might be a little hampered by that. I am very curious, especially with Switch version, how it handles that because I bet it had probably had probably has to have a frame rate downgrade overall. But uh, I bet you like it because it has a Paper Mario feel to it with that 3D 2D texture. Yeah, there's a little bit of that vibe to it. But, right. but yeah, a lot of fun. All right. Uh, anything else, last thing to say about Tinykin before we move on? Uh, no, and besides that, just play a little bit more Dreamlight Valley. I totally didn't even realize you can just walk up to the frozen door and unlock it until, like, last week. I was like, yeah. really? This whole time I thought I was done unlocking realms and the frozen had been, like, I could open frozen at any point. <laughs> 4,000 Dreamlight. So I just opened it today and just started on an Elsa's quest. So now we know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I gotta get back into it. Uh, yeah, like, yeah you're waiting on this. Well, like I said, I got Platoon, I got other stuff playing through. It, the, the attract screen is running on the TV right behind me. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, um, that's it for video games. Yeah. Let's so, move in to sports. Yes, I guess that means we move on to the second half of the show and we always start the television section with the sports corner. And yes, it's almost October, which means the boys of October are almost here, which means baseball is coming to a close, at least the regular season of baseball. But we have Home Run Watch 2022 to update. And yes, one of the watcher, watch the watches we had last week did come to fruition as Albert Pujols has hit his 700th home run. And it was against the Dodgers. Uh, yes. So there you go. And it was exclusive to Apple TV. <laughs> Yes. So if you have Apple TV and you watched it there, then you saw it. Other than that, it was a headline the next day. Uh, but so hey, congratulations. I was trying to find the game because I knew they were playing the Dodgers, and I couldn't find it on like the Spectrum TV. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, okay, I guess I'm not playing today. But and then nice. I hear loud screaming from the front unit. I'm like, what is that? It's like, 
he did it. It's like, but I can't find the game. And I look on Twitter on Twitter for like a recap of it. I was like, oh, it's an Apple game. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, congratulations to Albert Pujols. Truly a machine with 700 home runs. He's now one of four players of all time to have done that. So congratulations. And one of two people to have 700 home runs and 3,000 hits. Yes. Before that, it was just one person, and his name was Hank Aaron. Yes. Now it's a club. Meanwhile, the other player we were watching was Aaron Judge, who was on his 60th home run when we recorded last week. Well, guess what? He did it. He hit that 61 mark, which ties him for the American League record. Yep. And so, I think they have uh, ties him for the American League record because yes. um, Mark McGuire and uh, Barry Bonds were in the National League. Yeah, correct. So he's a bit to a runway still to catch up to them for the all-time one-season record. Uh, but he probably, I don't know, at this point. There's not that many games left. He has six games left. Yeah. So, uh, uh, He's see. got three against the Orioles, and then four against the Rangers, and they're actually playing right now. Yeah, so there you go. See if he hit a home run. Eyes peeled. the box scores. <laughs> Eyes peeled. Um, in the meantime, um, yeah, like I said, regular season is about to wrap up. Playoff baseball will start momentarily. We more or less know the teams we're seeing in the playoffs and the teams we are not seeing in the playoffs. Yep. Uh, uh, Dodgers officially hit uh, 100 wins. I think 107. Yeah. And uh, I have advice to everybody, all the baseball fans um, that are listening to our podcast. I have some real life advice uh, from experience that I had this week. When your team does a special mystery grab bag uh, thing where you could get a autographed baseball uh, from one of the members of your team. Just keep in mind that roster is pretty deep, and you might just get somebody who is literally designated for assignment that same day. <laughs> so let that be a warning to you. You're not going to get any of any of the star players. God no. You're going to get some leftover randoms. Yeah, you're going to get some of the leftover dude that's not even on your team anymore, as of like hours before you picked up the ball. <laughs> just saying it could happen to you it could happen <laughs> uh yeah so so far in uh baseball standings the dodgers have clinched with 108 wins they're the most <laughs> um the mets and the braves are also in um as well as the st louis cardinals so our pools could still hit more home runs playoff home runs um, that's in the National League. In the American League, um, the Trastros have officially <laughs> clinched. So have the first year Cleveland Guardians. And then Yankees and the Blue Jays have all gone to the playoffs. Yes. So, yeah, we're just basically at this point waiting for those wild cards to be set. Yep, and like I said, um, the last game is on October 5th, which is, or the 6th, which is next Wednesday and Thursday, um, with playoffs starting on Saturday. So next time we podcast, yeah. we will have a full playoff picture for baseball. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited, especially for the widened uh, opportunities for wildcard teams this year. 
uh, see if that can maybe spice up the competition a little bit. Because if we get another Dodgers Astros World Series, I'm going to literally sleep for, for the rest of the year. Uh, <laughs> I'll wake you up when October ends. Yeah, exactly. But if maybe there's some upsets happening, then hey, maybe it's a good year to watch some. Uh, okay, you can be honest, you're really rooting for the Mariners. I'm, you know what? As an Angels fan, it's a complicated question to ask me if I like the Mariners in 2020. I didn't say you like them. I said, are you going to root for them in the playoffs? It's a complicated question. And the answer to that is yes, they beat us up, but we also beat them up, to be fair. We also beat ourselves up, to be fair. But also, Mariners fans have beaten themselves up for decades, and I think they deserve a win. And so, yes, even though Jesse Winker is an asshole, I'm ready, I'm willing to give them this and say, yes, fine. If your team can do it, please beat the Astros. Please do it. Please, please, for, the, for all of us. If they can do that, they will be redeemed in my heart. That's what I'll have, that's what I have to say right. about the Mariners. <laughs> Anyways. That's anyway, cool. They're not the only thing in season. They're not. There's other things, other sports happening, including football. The Eagles are the last remaining unbeaten team. Every other team has lost. So congratulations, Philadelphia. The Texans uh, and Raiders. It's only three and zero, so we'll yeah. find out on Sunday. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Texans and Raiders are still looking for their first win. They are still winless. Um, Texans are interesting because they are zero, two and one. Yeah. Compared to the Raiders, who are zero and three. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Meanwhile, if you're looking forward to the Pro Bowl next year, well, maybe don't, because it's not happening. Instead of the Pro Bowl will be a week-long skills competition and a flag football game. Peyton Manning and his Omaha Productions company will help shape the programming and promote this event's content throughout the week. So, a fresh uh, take and a fresh event uh, coming to football. it seems like a good idea because I feel like no one really cares about the Pro Bowl. Well, also the players don't want to get like go hard and get injured in the Pro Bowl. Right. You want to do that outside of the actual game. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the actual right. game. Yeah. So it eh, could be interesting. I, I, I would like to see uh, what they end up doing here. Yep. Also, going back to Vegas. So yes. Vegas weekend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um then, in an update from last week's uh, football-adjacent story, we do have news about the performer for the Super Bowl halftime show in 2023. But no, it's not Taylor Swift. No, instead, it's an even stranger pick. It's Rihanna, who has not had new music in years. Is this finally a hint that that record is ready? So Rihanna was rumored to be the headliner a couple of years ago. Yes. And then it went to uh, Shakira and J-Lo. Well, because at the time, she notably declined it, saying mm-hmm. that she was standing in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. Um, I guess now that her stance has changed on the league, I do wonder how much of 
Jay-Z's influence maybe um, has gotten her to make this decision. As you mentioned, he is still helping with decision-making in regards to the Super Bowl halftime show uh, and the league as a whole. So maybe she was convinced to finally do it. But uh, regardless, um, a good pick. I mean, she has hits. Uh, Rihanna can uh, reliably, I think, pull off a good show here. I think that it will be even better if she introduces, uses this as an opportunity to introduce new music. I mean, if this is boding well for Ariana, uh, new album, new music, so, so we'll see. Yeah. Anything else in sports this week? Um, as we get into October, basketball and hockey will be starting. So yes. get those fantasy leagues starting if you're interested. Yes, uh, mere weeks away, I'm sure. Okay. Let's move on to our currently developing uh, television news uh, stories here this week, uh, where we start with, hey, guess what? Every uh, seven years, something like this happens, and sure enough, it's happening here. Comedy Central announced that Trevor Noah is done with The Daily Show. After taking over the program from Jon Stewart back in 2015, he is ending a seven-year tenure that saw it transform for a new generation of viewers who are more at home on social media than they are on cable outlets and broadcast networks. It was not immediately clear when his actual exit would take place or whether the Paramount Global Cable Network had begun to consider a successor, but they said, quote, we are grateful to Trevor for an amazing partnership over the past seven years with no timetable for his departure. We're working together on the next steps. Comedy Central has several potential replacements though, already on the Daily Show roster. Those works with a large circle of correspondents, which includes mainstays such as Desi Leidick, Roy Wood Jr., Ronnie Shang, Michael Costa, Dolce Sloan, and even Jordan Klepper, who was also given his own show uh, a year or so ago. Um, also, you have here, I don't know when this happened. He was seen, Trevor Noah was seen kissing Dua Lipa. <laughs> yes, and that's a major breaking story. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I saw on Twitter that uh, Trevor Noah was trending. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I saw that uh, it was, oh, it's just him kissing Dua Lipa uh, in Manhattan. <laughs> They're just going on dates. Yeah, and then I scroll even further and it's like, oh no, he's leaving the Daily Show. I'm like, wait, are these two separate things or are they the same thing? Two separate thing? stories. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is time. I think it makes sense. I would love to see them do something different with the Daily Show, like completely transform it. Because for more, more or less, they did try to keep it kind of close to what uh, Jon Stewart had established. But ultimately, I felt like there's a whole bunch of, like a whole audience of people who never really got into the Trevor Noah years. I'm one of them. I watched for like the first year or so of Trevor Noah's run and then dropped off. Uh, other shows were doing kind of similar bits better. I moved on to uh, Full Frontal with Samantha B and Last Week Tonight. And yes, those shows are doing slightly different things, especially Last Week Tonight. But ultimately, just I didn't get the direction that Trevor Noah was going in. So maybe get another host in there, maybe re rework the format a little bit. And I think you could totally um, try a new version of The Daily Show 
but maybe though it's time just to retire the name too. Just like throw the legacy out and be like, no, let's do something completely new. Maybe it's the time for that. It may be the time for that as we've covered the ever-changing and ever-depleting landscape that is late night television. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about how James Corden's leaving. Um, NBC's looking to shake up their late night schedule as well. Um, but ABC seems to be doubling down because they uh, talked about uh, they signed yeah. Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, now it makes sense for them to do a move like that because if everybody else is changing, maybe that's why. Maybe they're like, well, we want to be the one like reliable network. But we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting move. We'll see what Comedy Central ultimately decides. All right, let's move on to our second story here about Barry co-creator slash executive producer Alec Berg. He's out there making wheeling and dealing. He has signed a big overall deal with ABC Signature. Under the three-year pact, Berg will develop new series projects for the studio across all platforms. He spent the last 15 years at HBO, where he worked as an executive producer on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Silicon Valley, and most recently, Barry, with Bill Hader. Quote, Alec is a comedic genius and creative force behind some of the greatest award-winning comedies of all time. His dexterity and humor is undeniable as a writer, showrunner, and director, and we are all beyond thrilled that he will call ABC Signature his new home. That's Joni Davis, president of ABC Signature, part of Disney Television Studios. For Berg, there's a sentimental aspect to his move to ABC Signature, where he will be joined by Amy Solomon, head of development for his production company and producer on Silicon Valley and Barry. So uh, yeah, good talent to lock down for a overall deal here uh, if you're ABC. And uh, I bet they're probably chasing that prestige comedy vibe that this guy will definitely bring to them. Why yeah, not get somebody- 23 Emmy nominations. Yeah. Either Emmy wins or Emmy nominations. I mean, to his name through like Silicon Valley, Barry, Kirby Enthusiasm. I feel like ABC right now has tasted the success that Abbott Elementary has given them, mm-hmm. which they haven't had in their comedy realm in a long time. And I think they're like, now let's strike when the iron is hot. Let's get more shows that get the same kind of buzz. So why not bring an industry veteran who has done that on HBO, the prestigiest of the prestige cable mm-hmm. networks? Why not get, go to the source, right? And yeah. so this is a good get. I mean, I like this get. Um, I'm going to check out whatever he puts on next. Um, yeah. So this is a good, uh, good it's poll. A good it's a good move. Yeah. All right. Speaking of good moves. Um, it's also probably a good move because of whatever's happening with uh, Warner Discovery. Yeah. That mystery. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. Speaking... I, just, I just want to stay around and find out. Yeah, probably. Uh, speaking of big moves, though, finding out about big moves, back on Disney Plus is season two of The Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Tell me, how are they changing the game in season two? They're changing the game by not playing the season. So, opening game or the opening episode uh, kind of sets up what I think is going to be the whole series is that instead of it being through a season of The Mighty Ducks, it's training camp. It's taking them away from playing against the same teams 
and instead they are competing against the elite of the elite. So if you're wondering how you improve from going from playing your interdivision teams, send them to the elite kind of um, sports camp run by Josh Demel <laughs> and have them compete against the elite, like we're making hockey a career kind of athletes against the scrappy team that is the Mighty Ducks. It's a good, good aspect. Um, it's shame that they're going away from the having Emilio Estevez in here because he was such kind of a um, recurring character within the first season that uh, basically say, we're going to go completely away from you now that we're established like all these characters is a very interesting direction. I'm yeah. not sure if they're going to keep a whole lot of viewers with it, but it does give them more of a challenge than what was in the first season, which was a whole lot of setup, a whole lot of yeah, we're constantly being scrappy, but when you take the name and you beat the top team, you have to find some way to be knocked back down and become the scrappy team again. Yeah. Uh, it's also going to allow for them to do more individual shining as it is going to be a skills-based competition amongst everyone else, and it's not specifically team-based. So you will, so it does lend itself the opportunity to have the interplayers face off against each other and on separate teams. Yeah. So do interesting. You think I like where they're going. I'll yeah. continue to watch this. Do you think they're butting up against the the edges of this concept though? Do you think there's a whole lot more life in this show? Or do you think they're already kind of like burying their extra like, I don't know, let's change it up. Like I think they're kind of have to wait for these uh, kids to age up. Because yeah. I like in the movies where they age them up because you can shoot a film and have a sequel come out two years later, three right. years later. Here, you're coming out like literally the next year. It's a next series. Next. So you got to wait for them to age up in order to have like higher stakes. Okay. But it sounds like for Disney, Disney Plus stuff, this seems like to be one of the better versions of that kind of vibe. It's one of the more family-friendly versions that you can like you can watch with your kids and like it's good, wholesome fun for the whole family. Cool. Okay. Also, um, a lot of hockey, a lot of like uh, action scenes, which I like. I would imagine. Yep. I just remembered one uh, that I need to add here. It was one of the, we did one of those classic. Um, I had not watched the show at all, and then we caught up on all three of its existing seasons within the last month. Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did that with Netflix's Never Have I Ever. So I'm going to type that here. Okay. Is this another one of those shows um, that's like, uh, well, based around like uh, high school coming of age? Yeah, it is. uh, But it is specifically from the perspective of an Indian teenager. This is executive produced and co-created by Mindy Kaling. And from what I can tell, incorporates about a lot of her personal experiences growing up in uh, Indian culture um in the united states um it's a fun show um i'm actually genuinely surprised with how much of a good time i had with it um it's pretty well written for what it is but you nailed the uh, you you hit the nail on the head with your with your assessment of it it is a teenage high school coming of age show but um it's clever in the way that it does it it does some surprising things with the concept yes it is 
there is a narrator uh, telling you the story about this kid. But here's the twist. That narrator is John McEnroe. Like tennis John McEnroe? Yes, tennis his own John McEnroe. Another twist. Sometimes there's an occasional episode where it's from the perspective of a different character. And for those, you get a different narrator for that character. Andy Samberg shows up as the narrator for one of the male characters. Uh, one of her, like her, basically her high school rival slash frenemy slash maybe lover. Uh, and then you get um, <laughs> all sorts of weird, like, like yeah, cameos like that. It's a, it's a clever show. Um, it, but like I said, the joke writing is better than I think it needs to be sometimes. Um, overall vibe is kind of fun. It gets a little, it gets dramatic in moments. There is an arc in season two about eating disorders, for example. There's an arc in uh, season three about like kind of mental health. Um, so yeah, it, it it likes to get into kind of like, uh, you know, topic du jour every once in a while. But for the most part, it's one of the better versions of this kind of thing that Netflix has right now. There are currently three seasons. Uh, the fourth upcoming next year season uh, will be its final, which makes sense because the character will be a senior in high school and will graduate. So, uh, yeah. And you go uh, to the college years. Yes. Or the other Mindy Kaling show, The Secret yeah, right. Sex Lives of College Students. Exactly. Yeah, just, just place that right after you're done with this one. Uh, but yeah, it's it's better than it needs to be. I enjoyed my time with it. Is it everybody's cup of tea? No, but if you're looking for a, a well-written uh, teen coming-of-age comedy, I think it's a good version of that, and we had fun with it. All right. And you watched all three seasons? Yeah, we watched all three seasons over the last couple months. Uh, oh. Also, we should mention here, uh, Celebrity Jeopardy started last week. That's on Sundays, and it's Celebrity Jeopardy. And it's Celebrity Jeopardy. That's all you need um, to know. Catch up on the new stuff or old stuff that I'm still watching. 911 still continues to be super over dramatic. Yeah. Um, but so you remember how last season I said that they're more working on like other individual characters? Well, this season it paid off because they took a lot of the main characters away in order for these other characters to step up into more of the lead roles. Okay. Um, Makes it a lot more interesting, makes it a lot, lot more uh, dynamic, but also makes you a lot more caring about the characters because this is six seasons after all. So um, good to see character growth and development. Yeah. Um, Amazing Race also comes back. Rex Ryan's on it for some reason. Kind of want to take him <laughs> out immediately, but he moves on. <laughs> wow. Uh, but Amazing Race, uh, I looked ahead. Um, this is going to take completely in Europe. Um, it's an all-European leg, uh, much like the end of the previous season was, because this was still shot in the pandemic. I believe this past season was shot in May of this year, so quicker turnaround time for production value, but that also can lead itself to feel a little bit more chaotic than normal. But it's Amazing Race. I still like watching it. Um, as long as like the people I want to root for are still on it, I'm going to keep watching it until it's like, nope, I'll just beat you at the end. <laughs> um, College Bowl continues with Peyton Manning and Cooper yeah. Manning. Um, I am smarter than all these college kids. Because <laughs> well, I also yeah. have like 10 years more experience. You're also 10 years kids. older than them. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and um, you lose. Oh, yeah. I'm also That's about where I'm about to wrap up uh, finally uh, Amazon's A League of Their Own. I'm an episode out. So I'll talk about that next week once I wrap that up. Okay. 
uh, yeah, and then I still need to uh, finish watching, uh, upload League of Their Own, and continue at some point, get back into Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I realize that I don't want to sit down and watch an hour of this basically film when I can watch mm. other shows to that get over in 20 minutes, 40 minutes. But because it's like an hour of solid, straight, cinematic yeah. television, that you have to be like the right mindset to want to watch what's essentially an hour-long movie. Also, speaking of things we don't have time to get into very heavily here, but within the last week since I asked you about Disney Plus's Andor and now... I've heard nothing but effusive praise for this thing. So many people ever are on the internet saying this is the best Star Wars thing in the world. What do you think about that reaction? Because I feel like your reaction was a lot more low-key. It's... Mm, I think it's a severe overreaction. It's coming off of Boba Fett and Kenobi. Yeah. In that it's a character that's not beloved by Star Wars fans already. So if they're not forced to create a character or scenario where they have to be the good guy at all occasions. Yeah. And they, um, with Andor, because we know where eventually he needs to end up because of Rogue One, that it's more of a mysterious journey because he is introduced as a very mysterious smuggler character. Yeah. Maybe and it opens just, up a yeah. lot more to non-Jedi non like pre-established canon and it's that breath of fresh take that i think people are extremely globbing onto much in the same way when mandalorian first appeared people were extremely globbing onto it yeah okay it's just the same overreaction because remember when um that came when mandalorian came out it was on the heels of solo a star wars story which right. left people with very mixed and divided reviews. And also of um, Star Wars, um, it was right before Star Wars uh, Rise of Skywalker came out. That was in the middle of the first season. Um, and that also left people with very mixed reviews. So it's just an overcorrection, overreaction. That's all it is. All right. Thought I'd check, <laughs> just in case, if like, maybe there was like a brilliant episode last week or something. No, a lot of talking episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. I guess people like talking. Anything else before we move on to cancellations and renewals? Um, nope. Okay. I'm gonna watch. All right. Oh, uh, because we're uh, well, Matthew, because we're in Halloween and October, Halloween baking and cooking and pumpkin carving competitions are abound yep. on the Food Network. Yep, yep, yep. So get that if that sounds feeling to you. Yep, if you want to get the holiday spirit. There you go. Anyway, cancellations and renewals. Let's talk about them. Yeah. What am I no longer watching? Well, you're still watching Hellbound on Netflix as that's getting a second season. Money Heist, colon, Korea. We'll get a second season on Netflix. Yes, the spinoff Korea, um, spinoff Money Heist Korea, not to be confused or with the original Money Heist. Right. Big Brother will get a 25th season on CBS. It just keeps going. Yep. Bridge and yep. Tunnel canceled after two seasons on Epics. Interview with the Vampire will get a second season on AMC. 
And we have one death this week. It's a sad one. Coolio, the rapper, Coolio, only 59. For, of course, famous for songs such as Gangsta's Paradise, Fantastic Voyage, See You When You Get There, the theme song to Keenan and Kel. Mm -hmm. Also famous for having really wacky hair. That Coolio, yes, if you're our generation, you might better know Weird Al's Amish Paradise. Yes. Still. Yeah, so R.I.P. Coolio won a Grammy back in 96. Um, yeah, definitely uh, one, of the, one of those guys who you just thought was always going to be around in some way. Uh, sad to see him go so early. Uh, died of a heart attack, it seems. Yeah, very sudden. 59 yeah. is young. Yeah, definitely. 59. That's, that's, yeah. that's young. But yeah, R.I.P. Coolio. And then you have here the Bachelorette finale? Yes, R.I.P. So... <laughs> What I do with The Bachelorette and Bachelor is that I watch the first episode, see everyone, and then watch the last episode and see who ends up last, or yeah. last man standing. And I am done doing that. I do, I'm done with that. Um, especially when they selected the winner, they propose, they're engaged, and then immediately after the camera stopped rolling, the guy goes and has an affair because they mm. were on a break. Is this was this like this cheat like cheat on your partner week in like the world or something? Because I swear there was like three different stories about that this week. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> it's just like the finale. Like you have the finale. They're doing like the after the rose ceremony, um, like talking to like if I'm not the aftermath of after like you won, you got the final rose, you're proposing, yeah. you're now think... engaged. Yeah. And then, like, immediately come back home and, like, off partying with other people. It's like, would you really want to get engaged in the first place? Or <laughs> did you hope you weren't going to get selected? <laughs> yeah, makes you think. Yeah, and it's, like, overplayed and overdramatic. It's like, they just keep, it feels like producers meddling and trying to find new ways to keep people hooked. Like, it's a bachelor, like, it's a bachelor nation first. It's such a shocking twist. And if you have to keep upping the shocking twist, eventually <laughs> it's like, well, of course that was going to happen. What'd you expect? Yeah. It's silly. Yeah. It's all very um, silly. Basically, the entire Bachelor Nation can like officially be canceled now. <laughs> Please stop. Please go away. Please stop. We don't, need, stop. Uh, we don't need this to continue. Well, the good news is, is that we don't need to continue on this because that's it for television. And that means we can move over to the movie section, where, of course, we start with the weekend box office numbers. All right. Your number one movie this week, debuting at number one, is Internet's favorite, Don't Worry Darling, with a $19.3 million debut. So congrats, I guess, uh, for uh, to Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles for having a good opening weekend. I guess all that talk did it some good. Uh, meanwhile, they got, your... they got to number one, so now you can yeah. run a number one movie. They as... can. They can run that for now because uh, it won't be long. Uh, but number two, dropping down number two this week, The Woman King with another $11 million. That's at 36. Number three, the re-release of Avatar charted with another $10 million. That's $10 million domestically so far this year. <laughs> 
obviously we don't need to tell you that's another 10 million on top of the billion dollars plus that that movie has made. Uh, I'm sorry, you left a billion off of that. Oh, sorry, $2 billion. <laughs> Number four, Barbarian with another 4.8 million. That's a 27 domestic. And rounding out your top five, see how they run with $1.9 million to add to its $6 million total. Upcoming this weekend, so today, I should say, we have the ones we talked about last week, which is Bros, the Billy Eichner uh, vehicle, and Smile, the horror film. Then next weekend, we have one for the adults and one for the kids. We have Amsterdam, which is the big David O. Russell star-studded, you name them, they're in this movie somehow. Taylor Swift is here, uh, big release movie. And then you have for the kids, uh, Sean Mendez is Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Yes, Sean Mendez is a singing crocodile. Yes. So something for everybody. Or you can go watch Christian Bale and yeah. uh, John David Washington go run amok in Amsterdam. So I'm, I'm very ex- interested to see all the celebrity interviews that will have to, where all these actors will have to walk around the allegations of David O. Russell and why they still are in this movie. I'm just fascinated. I just want to know. Just tell me, tell me why you're still in David O. Russell's movie, huh? Tell me about it. They, they yeah. shoved a, an Oscar in their face, like, here it is. Probably. You want honestly. it? You're probably right. Ugh. Or a SAG award, right? It's like, this is an easy shoe-in for um, um, the ensemble. Like, yeah. how can it not win? Anyways, gross. Moving on out of new releases and into movie news. Our first one, kind of also a downer story this week. Uh, I mean, if you're into technology, I guess there is a silver lining. No pun intended, David O. Russell, uh, to this story. But to me, it just sounds sad. That's kind of where I'm at with this stuff. Future technology in Hollywood. Bruce Willis. He's been in the news Last couple of years, he retired from acting proper after uh, being diagnosed with the disease. He's also kind of made headlines about being in a lot of small bit parts in like foreign director's films just to make some paychecks. Well, his newest um, venture here, he will become the first Hollywood star to sell his rights to allow a digital twin of himself to be created for use on screen. Using deep fake technology, the actor appeared in a phone advertisement without ever stepping foot on set after his face was digitally transplanted onto another performer. While there have been warnings that deep fake technology could be used to spread political disinformation, spoiler alert, it already has, um, the technology uh, could be used to, uh, like, that actors could star in films after they die. It could continue an actor's legacy beyond. This uh, story doesn't happen to ask if that's a good idea or not, uh, but I guess that's beyond the purview of this writer. Anyways, the technology has already been used in Star Wars spinoffs to recreate the younger selves of actors. We saw it in the theatrical sequels, uh, sequel trilogy with Luke and Leia's characters and we've seen variations on this idea going back to 2012's Tron Legacy, if you want to dig back that far. You can even go back further to 2010 with uh, Double Army Hammer in the social network. Yes, exactly. So 
there's been versions of this kicking around, but this is basically like the first time it's like, no, he's sanctioning this. He wants this to happen as opposed to a studio trying to get around footage. Well, it would still have to be approved through Bruce Willis' estate. Yes, thank, uh, thank To use his um, likeness. So. But it would be basically a body double and then his face would be digitally imposed right. on it. Which brings us to the second story that kind of dovetails nicely with this. James Earl Jones has signed off on archival voice recordings being used by filmmakers who plan to utilize artificial intelligence synthetic speech technology to recreate Jones's younger voice from his previous films for future Star Wars and Lucasfilm projects. Lucasfilm has enlisted the assistance of Respeecher, a Ukrainian startup that uses AI technology to craft new conversations from revitalized old voice recordings. The two also teamed for the voice performance of Darth Vader on the series Obi-Wan Kenobi, which of course debuted last summer. So this is already in use. James Earl Jones has already said, yeah, no, it's cool to use these old recordings reworked to be new dialogue for these new shows. But where does it end, is what I ask. So now James Earl Jones will forever be Darth Vader. So I see the most people are bringing up the question about, is this the ultimate solution for Disney's plans with The Simpsons? Those voice actors are also getting old. So is there a world- Recreate a younger yeah. version. Is the there voices. a world when they're no longer to record those voices reliably? Is there a world where AI versions of Dan Castellaneta, Yardley Smith, etc., are do are are doing the Simpsons voices until we're dead? Is that a life we want to live in? I don't know. I don't, I'm just thinking like of the life that the Simpsons have has had since debuting. Yeah. Back yeah. in '89. Yeah. Summer of 89. Think about it. Yeah, it's a it's lot. Wild. So wow, it's crazy. But here's the question though. Disney has a history of having to replace character voices after the character voice dies. Mm -hmm. We've seen it for Mickey Mouse. We've seen it for their entire stable of characters. When someone dies, they replace them with a younger actor who's been trained to sound like the older actor. So this introduces a future in which Disney no longer needs to do that. They've, they've incubated robots, essentially, to be the replacements instead of actual human actors who need work. So to me, this seems like kind of sad, which is what I was saying. This is kind of a sad story. Both these are kind of sad to me because, like, why do we need Bruce Willis and things forever? Why do we need the voice of James Earl Jones forever? Why can't somebody else take that mantle? Like other people exist. Like it just is a shame to me that we're so focused on it has to be exactly the same that's always been instead of being like, no, this is an opportunity for somebody new to put their own spin on this. Why not? Right. And because like Warner Brothers did this, we wouldn't have Eric Bowser currently doing all the voices. That's true. That's true. Like it's, it's sad to me. Yeah. It's but, you're taking away work from people actors, up and coming. Yeah. I would rather have a new Homer Simpson than have the AI Homer Simpson. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we're going to get that because it's sad, but it's probably cheaper. And they're always going to do what's cheaper. So yeah, it's just depressing, depressing to me. But 
I guess there's nothing no stopping it. It's a business. It's here to make money. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, let's move on to something a little bit more exciting. Well, yeah. if there's any, like, consolation, at least you'll always know that's James Earl Jones doing the voice of Darth Vader. I guess. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on to some more exciting news. We have some coming soon announcements for you, starting with the announcement of fan favorite Deadpool 3. It's been confirmed for September 9th, 2024, and will have Hugh Jackman appearing as Wolverine uh, for, I guess, a new final time. <laughs> Not the last final time. Well, no. Logan will be the final time, like, chronologically. Yeah. Chronological warrior. Yes. But, but yes. Somehow Jackman they're going to work in... Deadpool 3. Unsure of how much he will be in Deadpool Yeah, 3. probably not much, I would imagine. But yeah, this was uh, brought to... Yeah, it's like saying Hugh Jackman appear, appeared in X-Men First Class. Yeah. This, is, this kind of introduced two questions. Well, one, of course, it was in the traditional fashion of Ryan Reynolds telling you himself via video that he released. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That's where he's at these days. Second thing is it definitely riled up uh, Marvel fans that were are still waiting for X-Men to debut in the proper Marvel Universe to be teased again, yet again with another Sony, uh, like or sorry, not Sony, so another Fox DNA uh, like uh, uh, movie to have it first is, I'm sure, disappointing to a lot of fans, but it's what we get. Anyway, let's move on. Well, at least we got a date. Like, that's been set to rest up. We have a date. Yep. A date for Deadpool 3. For Meanwhile, two years. Yes. Meanwhile, we have a project that has been in the works for a little longer than just two years. Community always said that they wanted six seasons and a movie. Well, guess what? They're getting that movie. Maybe. We're, we're sort of. We have maybe con maybe confirmation. It's been greenlit. Yes, a community movie has been ordered at Peacock and slated for next year, 2023. Of the original cast, the only people that are confirmed not to return so far are Yvette Nicole Brown, Donald Glover, and Chevy Chase. Uh, obvious reasons for Chevy Chase. The other two, who knows? But yes, it seems like Joel McHale has more or less confirmed this on his Twitter that most of the uh, cast are returning for a movie. Sure, I'll believe it when I see it. That's <laughs> kind of where I'm at. What do you mean? I know you're not going to watch it. No, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> but I also will believe it when I see it. Next up, director Bassam Tariq will not film the upcoming Blade film for Marvel. The project was supposed to start filming in November to make a November 3rd, 2023 release date. Uh, in classic Marvel movie fashion, it will need a new director and thus will probably be delayed. Or they just get whoever wrote it to direct it. Yeah, we'll see. Or yeah, they see how good Werewolf by Night does and they get Michael Giacchino to direct. <laughs> Maybe. Um, another uh, note here, though, it, like I, I saw on Twitter, somebody Somebody made a good joke about this. Is like, seems like for Star Wars movies, Disney just cancels them. But for Marvel <laughs> movies, they just find a new director. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, next up, speaking of Marvel movies, Marvel's Armor Wars, starring Don Cheadle, won't be a series after all and will instead morph into a Disney Plus film. 
releasing between 2023 and 2025. It's a big range of years. Uh, no director is attached, but yes, Sir Lester is still on board with writing it. So there you go. So instead of being what the six episode half hour each uh, episode's going to be, now they just push them all together and make a movie. Yep. For Disney Plus. Why not? Special. Because that's what you were going to do in the first place, anyways. <laughs> yeah. That's how it's going to be written out, anyways. Yeah. And lastly, in our uh, coming soon bits here, a new American Pie movie is in the works by insecure actor Sujata Day for Universal. I don't know if this is the time really to bring back American Pie, but eh, whatever, sure. Uh, you need to if you want to keep the IP. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A whole but, new generation of Stifler's mom, I guess. Well, what that's doing. what it was. That's what kind of the tagline is, like a new American Pie for a new generation. We'll see about that. All right. Let's wrap up uh, the movie news um, and talk about some thoughts. You have some movies that you watched. So uh, we're talking about two of these films. One of them got released today, Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, we're going to talk about it next week because I want to get your take on it as well. Yeah, we're probably going to watch it. Um, so uh, we're also probably going to watch double feature of it. Yeah, Hocus good. Pocus and then Hocus Pocus 2. That's what Christy said too. So she wants to do that as well. Yep. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Hocus Pocus 2 next yeah. week but, uh, but so far early review, early buzz is good I've seen good talk on uh, Twitter about it um, we'll see I'm very skeptical about anything that is 29, 30 years later especially when you bring back original yeah. cast so yeah We'll see how well it holds up and see if any other black candles get lit this Halloween. <laughs> but the other two films that I did watch are two family-friendly films that came out earlier this year. Getting caught up on them thanks to streaming. First up, DC League of Super Pets. Uh, this is uh, starring voice acting of Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart um, and a bunch of other talent and it's better. <laughs> if you're going to watch two, one of these two movies, it's the better one. But it's also half about the pets and half about like a Justice League, animated Justice League film. Yeah. Half superpower pets. Weird combination. Yeah. Um, it's like they couldn't fully commit to having superpowered pets, so they had to rope in Justice League into this in order to get, like, one, keep the plot moving, and two, have actual states of why yeah. the pets need to be involved, and they can't, and like the uh, like actual Justice League who do exist in this universe can't yeah. solve it on their own. It kind of reminds me of, remember when that Scoob movie came out, and everybody mm -hmm. was like, why is this a Birdman movie? Yes. Same vibe, right? Where it's like these studios have zero actual confidence. Well, I guess specifically Warner Brothers has no confidence in their IP, and so they're trying to shoehorn other things in there. It's at yeah. least the better of the two movies, but okay. also like more like the voice actors. Like, like oh, like oh, that's that actor. That's that yeah. actor. I know that yeah. that voice from somewhere. Um. 
but it also has probably a lot more references that probably shouldn't be made in this film, especially <laughs> like direct Marvel references that uh-huh. kind of break the world building of it. Yeah. Um, but between like this one and Minions, The Rise of Gru, it's the better of the family animated films. Well, yeah. But then again, that was not a hard, hard bar to clear in the first place. <laughs> Which brings you to the second film that I watched. Yeah. The Rise of Gru. I don't know who this film is for. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I honestly know who it's for. That it's for like the five-year-old, like, like, the, like the tiny children. But it's also a lot of Minions shorts. And like, oh, what if the minions did this wacky and goofy thing? And then loose thread connecting all of the minion shorts for uh, two hours of runtime. It's weird. A lot of the jokes don't land. A lot of the jokes are referencing other stuff. Um, not necessarily within the universe, but um, within, but then you're like, are you really paying attention to the Minions universe? But like within like cultural um, aspect, like one of the villains in it is called Jean Claude because he has a claw for an arm. But if you don't know who Jean Claude is, does it make sense? <laughs> no. Does the joke still? Does the pun still work if I have to explain what the pun is? Right. So it's. Several stuff like that that make me go, eh, er, question. Um, it's a so it's also a bit of an origin story for Gru, but do we need an origin story for Gru if it's a Minions movie and the Minions are up they, and doing wacky things? Yeah, they just needed another angle to do another Minions movie, and that's what they figured out. Yeah, it's this one's for the kids. You don't need to watch it. It's for the kids. That's not what I gathered. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Anyway. Like I said, uh, we'll discuss Hocus Pocus 2 on next week's podcast. Cool. Now, you have, for the first time ever, uh, put on this uh, this uh, sheet here that we have a question to answer from our some, some from one, one listener. Uh, yes, uh, we got a question from our uh, live listener last week, or yeah. two weeks ago. Um, and we actually can actually say his name right here. Mr. Glaudemen. <laughs> Spelt it out phonetically for us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, yes, so the question being posed to us this week is a video game quest flavored question this week. If you could make your favorite game designer slash developer, either or, make any other franchise's video game, which mashup would you make? And he has an example for us, like make Konami make a Metroid game, or vice versa, Nintendo make a Castlevania, so we can have a true Metroidvania. <laughs> what, what, are your, uh, what are your thoughts here? So any developer make some other company's IP. So I really like single player story games. 
I'd like Insomniac-inspired games. Yeah. But I also like to see them kind of mesh and branch out outside of doing like Spider-Man or um, Ratchet and Clank, but have the same kind of like wacky zany feel of a Ratchet and Clank game, but in a uh, fighting style game. Give me the wacky different punches, wacky different kicks. Give yeah. me the um, different gadgets to distract my, en- my enemies and pull them closer. Give me a Ratchet and Clank style fighting game that's not a shooter. <laughs> wow. Like a, like a 2D side scroller. Okay. All right. All right. That sounds very weird. Sounds but pretty, I think they can right. pull it off, especially with the kind of humor that they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is something there. Mine is something there. Um, my first thought, and this is something that probably I'm the only one who would want to play this, but hey, listeners maybe prove me wrong. But I want the like the current uh like life is strange team the 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 team that made true colors i want the them don't to do people not don't nod they're the original developers that's why i said that because okay. they're no longer working on that franchise but i want to see them do a pokemon game so mm-hmm. like just like 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 a day in the life of the like people somebody like a trainer living in the pokemon world no combat no actual collecting, no catching. I just want to have like a slice of life in the Pokemon world. We have nothing like that. Isn't that what Pokemon Masters is? No, because there's a game that you have to play, and it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the story. That's what you like good. about Pokemon Masters that you can talk to like all the trainers and yeah, but it's all very surface level, and it's all just about like being the best trainer and about the power of friendship. It's the same Pokemon plot stuff that we've gotten the entire of the entirety of the franchise no i'm talking about i want a game that's about like actually what it would be like to be a trainer like they're kind of like maybe like a rivalry between other trainers like or like a relationship between your parents like did they want you to go on a journey like was that okay at 10 like are you for like is the character like 16 now and hasn't seen their parents in six years there's drama there right like there's so many opportunities for drama in the pokemon world it's in like the in like the periphery of the, the lore of the games, but the games never go into it. Like there's stuff, like I just saw a tweet about Scarlet and Violet, like one of their little hype tweets from the Pokemon mm-hmm. account, where it's like, oh yeah, the members of Team Stars are all, this is, which is the new team in the game, um, they're all delinquent students who aren't studying. And I'm like, that's a story right there. I wanna know like what motivated this delinquent student to join Team Star? Were they recruited? Like, did they just get, they just got an F on that exam and they're so worried that their parents are going to find out. Maybe they join the team to see if they can make some money to like, like give their parents a present or something or to like distract them. Like, do you see, this is what I'm saying. There's so many stories you can tell about the Pokemon world that are not told and that's, that I think are interesting that this games would never go into. So I think that would be like, that would be like my ideal answer. Probably not um, <laughs> anybody else's idea of a game, but I would play it. <laughs> so I was thinking of another game um, where you take the concept of Lego Star Wars but put it into Disney. Then I yeah. realized I just created Dreamlike Valley. Yeah, that's just Dreamlike Valley. So yeah, um, uh, I just go play Dreamlike Valley instead. And I realize that there are some indie games that are doing are doing this already, 
but I want any developer to make a Paper Mario game like the old Paper Mario games, just anybody. Because I want Nintendo to let somebody else yes. make that true sequel to Thousand Year Door that we've been Yes, you and your quest for a Thousand Year Door sequel. Never going to get it. It doesn't exist. And yeah, I know that there are a couple of smaller releases, like I said, over the last couple of years that people have been like, yeah, they're kind of doing the same thing. Like, but it doesn't have Mario and stuff in it, which is it's never going to be the same unless it's Paper Mario. So I don't know. But that would be cool. That'd be cool. So those are those are my two, I guess. Yeah, and that was brought Good to question. us by uh, Glauda Man, <laughs> Dutch for the Gold Man. Really, really hit, hit um, um, via our uh, inbox. Yes, thank you for emailing your question. And if you, the listener, want to email your question, ask us anything. It could be about video games, could be about TV, uh, music, whatever. Uh, you can do so by emailing us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail So. Now, with that, we'll go into the rest of our plugs. Yes, plug away. If you want to see us in video form on YouTube, our videos are posted on our YouTube channel. Just go there and search Media Boat Podcast. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications when we go live. We should be back with live shows next week once we return to normalcy, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can also listen to us in audio form via any podcatcher of your choice. Just search Media Boat Podcast in services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen, and you can find our archive of shows. You can also find us on social media channels like Twitter, where our handle is at Media Boat Cast. Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast and find our page there. And then, yeah, check out our website, MediaBoatPodcast.com for another archive of our previous shows. And with that, thank you for joining us this week on the Media Boat Podcast. We will be back next week for more Focus Focus 2, maybe some more Halloween-themed content for you, more video games, more news, more talks about music. We'll talk about the yeah, yeah, yeahs and always and whatever else we listen to. So just... King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. So stay tuned for next week. We'll be back next time. Have a good week, everybody. Have a good October. And goodbye. We'll be back with more news, more thoughts, and more of us next time. Bye. All right, bye.